I need to get serious with you tonight and have a little bit of a family meeting, if you will. We will eventually make our way to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Any true God-called preacher wants to know they're getting their messages from the Lord. Amen. That they are Spirit-led. That time will be spent in prayer, seeking God's direction for what to preach and when. Most of the time, it's easy to preach what God has laid upon my heart, but there are times that it is more difficult. And for me, it's never been difficult out of fear, but it has been difficult at times out of uncomfortableness. For example, you know I am not one who jumps at the opportunity to preach a Mother's Day sermon. (laughs) It's not because I'm fearful to. It's because I've never been a mother. Who am I to tell a mother how to live? I've, I've never been one. I don't plan to be. But I understand that's an option now. Strike that from the record. I'm sorry. Why am I telling you this? Well, I believe God has led me to preach a series which I feel will be more difficult than any series I've preached thus far as a pastor. I want to introduce a series entitled Pastor and Church. Pastor and Church. Now, I want to study the relationship between a pastor and the local church where God has called him to serve. And in the process, I want to consider the role of a pastor and your role as the congregation. What is my responsibility and what is your responsibility? Now, the reason this will be difficult for me is twofold. One, even though I've been preaching for almost 22 years now, I wonder if you will view me as qualified to give you a series on this topic, seeing how I've only been a pastor for almost five years here, I think, in less than two weeks. And the second reason I find it difficult is going into a series like this, I feel like it can give the perception that it's all self-serving. And that's not the case. Please know that's not the case. But rather, I believe... We need to understand our relationship and make it as solid as we possibly can in order for us to be even more effective as we go forward. God began to press this sermon series upon me during my recent time away. There were some adults, and I stress adults because I can understand children and teens being confused by how things went down. But there were some adults who were apparently unhappy with how things went down. And from that, one can immediately see there is a higher expectation placed upon pastors. And I'm okay with that. Some of that's very biblical, amen? Some of that is to be expected. However, some some can be hypocritical. It's interesting that when a pastor takes some time off, there's supposed to be this perfectly timed and planned departure where all are informed and all are in agreement. Yet church members can leave and never say a word. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're going. I don't know for how long. I don't know why. We're just talking. (laughs) We're just talking. I'm not reprimanding in any way. Not at all. And I mean that. I'm simply giving you the view from this side of the pulpit. Some of you don't like it if I leave without giving any details. And I can tell you I don't like it when you're not here. And I don't have any details either. 
At least when I leave, you know enough details to know that I'm not dead. <laughs> and there's someone here to preach. During this recent departure, I believe Brother Petraco announced at my wife's request that I was visiting family trying to get some downtime. Yet, when I stand up here and I see missing faces, there's no people taking your place. Most of the time, I don't have anyone explaining to me what's going on. So I'm left to wonder, is there something wrong? Are they mad? Are they sick? Has there been an emergency? Is someone in the hospital? Are they just being lazy? Are they out of town? Are they trying out a different church? All of which has happened. And I'm not saying that I need to know every time you're not here. Please. <laughs> I don't need to know. In fact, I know with a lot of our elderly, they, they can't be here at night. They can't drive at night. They can't drive in the snow, perhaps. Uh, all sorts of reasons. Maybe there's health concerns. I understand all those. And, and I'm aware of those. I know that some are shift workers. Um, I know some are in the military. Their schedule bounces around. Uh, I've been through that as well. And just to be clear, I did inform the deacons that I was leaving, though I purposefully gave them no details. I did tell them I needed to take some time off. I needed to do some soul searching, effective immediately. And I did ask for some space and some time for prayer. Is everybody okay tonight? Okay, I just want to make sure I'm not already turning into sandpaper. That's not my intent. Uh, I even said I understood if they needed to withhold my pay because I really didn't know how long I would be gone. I mentioned I was going to try to be back by the 13th, hopefully no later than the 17th, but my plan was to return when I had peace to do so, and I told them to figure out who was preaching and when. I didn't even want to deal with that. But to be honest, I felt pressured to return early because there were those who were making the fact that I had departed a big deal. And they did so in a manner to suggest that it was unnecessary or unwarranted. It was at this point <laughs> that I realized there's a breakdown between pastor and church. And typically when some are verbalizing it, there's a lot more people who are thinking it. And so I knew something had to be addressed. I realized a lot is just ignorance because until you are a pastor, you just don't understand all that is involved. And I do not say that again to be ugly. It's not an ugly statement. It's, I just know from my own experience. I thought I understood. I thought I prayed for my pastor well enough, come to find out I didn't. And I make this statement after spending 21 years in active Air Force, and I can speak to the difference between secular work and secular leadership and ministry work and ministerial leadership. In the secular world, especially the lower down you are on the ladder, the more easily you are able to take time off and not bring your work home. Those were good days. I understand the higher you rise, even in the secular world, the more difficult it becomes to get away. Uh, I learned that in the military as well as I began to increase in rank. When I was a weather flight commander, any time I was off from work and some kind of severe weather was coming through, I never felt like I was off because I, had to, I knew that the angry commander was going to call me if something wasn't issued on time, wasn't done properly and all the rest. So you're always kind of tuned in. Uh, when I was enlisted and it wasn't my shift or I wasn't on call, I remember I didn't care. It was somebody else's responsibility. <laughs> I didn't have to deal with it. I was just glad somebody else had to deal with it. I remember after I retired, we were sitting in the living room, and I don't know if you'll remember this, but some severe weather was beginning to move in. I could see it off in the distance, and if you've ever been to our house, we can see the North Pole. And so 
I began to see some severe weather moving in, and I told Adrian how nice it was to actually just sit there and not feel like I had to be on and just know that some other poor sap had to deal with all of that. Amen? But now, as pastor, I can tell you that you never truly get away from it. So when you think I'm getting away, I'm not fully getting away. And please understand, I'm not trying to be woe is me in any way whatsoever. But I'm just trying to inform you so you better understand our relationship and how to pray. To be clear, I love the ministry. I am very grateful that the Lord has counted me faithful, placing me in the ministry and outside of my family. This has been the joy of my life. And I mean that. I I really love what I'm doing. With that, I want you to understand the burdens are always present. There's not a day when the cares of this church aren't heavy on my heart. This is not some entry-level position where I can take a day off and not be concerned about you all. I I think about you. I I wonder what's happening. I wonder where our church is heading. All these things, they they pour into your mind all the time. And, And just like walking with God is to be daily, so pastoring a church is a daily thing. Even during this last trip, though you may think it was all time off, it was anything but time off. I had two, what I considered very significant issues that I had to deal with or else I wasn't going to have peace. One thing I was dealing with took about a week. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I told Adrian this or not, but I said, I'm just not going to be able to study. I've, I've got to get things right. And I was concerned, am I, am I a problem? What am I doing wrong? Um, there was all kind of thoughts rolling through my mind. Satan was really just kind of beating me up. He was getting the advantage over me. And that's part of the reason I left, because there was no way I was going to be ready for for church to preach. And so I was hoping to get alone with God. But there were still important phone calls to take. There were still fires to put out. There were still very serious prayer requests coming in, emergency phone calls coming in and all the rest. And, And so what you may have seen as time off was actually a lot of work, which needed to be done. Um, But there's no way I could accomplish that while being here and needing to be in the pulpit. And occasionally, there's going to be issues that come up which are so time-consuming that I don't, won't have time to prepare sermons and deal with the circumstances at the same time. And, and listen, I'm asking you, I guess maybe I'm telling you, I don't know what I'm saying, but I just need you to be okay with that. Amen. Therefore, because there were, were two important issues which I felt were extremely necessary to, to deal with, I made a command decision to get away and devote all my efforts towards these issues. I needed, quote, time off to deal with it. It was a time for a break here to deal with issues. You don't need to know what the situations are. So don't ask me because I'm not going to tell you. There will be times when information is beneficial. There will be times when information can be harmful. And I need you to trust and understand when I decide whether it needs to be open or whether it needs to be private. So don't get frustrated if a circumstance doesn't meet your approval. Now, before you sense that I'm being overly dramatic or overselling this, I want you to go with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where we'll see if anything I'm underselling this. We'll begin by looking at verse 1, although this isn't going to be our focus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, 
Paul writes to these Corinthians, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. The Apostle Paul, in dealing with the Corinthian believers, is trying to bust through false doctrines and false suppositions which had infiltrated the church. And he's led by God to remind them of who he is in order that he can reestablish his authority to them to let them know that he has the right to tell them how the church ought to be functioning. He has the authority to correct them is what he's establishing here. And so he writes, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. He calls what he's about to say folly. It's folly to him because you know and I know that when someone speaks of themselves, it often comes across as a self-commending thing. It looks, as a, it looks like folly. It looks like egotism. And, and nobody wants to be guilty of that, I hope. And, and again, that's why this is so uncomfortable for me being up here. This is why I'm having a hard time even looking up, looking at you. Amen. Uh, because I just feel, I feel like maybe I shouldn't be saying these things. But then again, I think, who else is going to say them? And then I think Paul said them. So Paul says, bear with me. And I say, bear with me as well. Now drop down to verse 16. I say again, he says some things in between here, obviously, but then he says, he's going back to his thought here in verse 1. I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise, yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. And so, like I said, he's returning to this thought. And then, let's keep reading. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. Now let's read verses 22 through 28. And so Paul here, he's saying, look, I'm going to be bold. And then he says in verses 22 through 28, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day. I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often, in hunger and thirst and fastings, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches." The, apostles, the Apostle Paul's resume is unequaled, amen? <laughs> no pastor would be foolish enough to even try to equate his ministry with the Apostle Paul. But there is one important parallel from this passage which highlights what I'm trying to communicate to you tonight, and I think the wording is very interesting as we look at this. He speaks of receiving stripes five times, being beaten with rods three times. He mentions being shipwrecked three times. He mentions spending a night and a day in the deep, meaning he was clinging on to something out there in the middle of the sea. Um, he, he then speaks of the perils he endured, uh, of waters and robbers and countrymen and heathen in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, among false brethren. He speaks of often being wearied and in pain, being hungry and thirsty, being in cold and nakedness. And he speaks of his times of fasting. And it's in verse 28 where I find the wording very interesting where he says, Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches." 
So what we find here is in verses 24 through 27, Paul lists all of these things which are external, things which are visible. But then in verse 28, he's saying, beside all of those things which come upon me physically, there are those things which come upon me internally, and that is the care of all the churches. He transitions from the external trials to the mental trials, the anxieties, if you will, which came upon him because he had care of all the churches I don't know about you, but when I read this, it comes across as if the care of the churches were a greater weight to Paul than those external things that he mentioned. Matthew Henry wrote this. He mentions this last as if this lay the heaviest upon him, as if he could better bear all the persecutions of his enemies than the scandals that were to be found in the churches. When when Paul writes, this is back to me now, when Paul writes, that which cometh upon him, It doesn't simply mean that this entered into his mind. This is a very interesting phrase here when you study this. This Greek word is only used twice. It's a very forceful word. The other time that it's used besides here is in Acts 24.12 where Paul is using it to describe an uprising of people that would press upon someone. And so when Paul says, that which cometh upon me, in speaking about the care of all the churches, it means that these cares rushed upon him. And it's as if Paul is saying these cares, they would have been enough in of themselves. And this continual care was always rushing upon him because he says this is a daily thing. His mind was always occupied with the weight of caring. Thinking of these churches and what needed to be done and the problems they were having and the the doctrine he had to correct and, and all these things that he had to do and these missionary journeys he had to take to check in on them and all these things. He's always occupied with the weight of the church. And these cares, they pressed upon him like a crowd of people forming a mob into a tumultuous uprising. And the sense is that the cares were innumerable mental concerns rushing over him and pressing upon him. It was a pressure upon him. And I can now identify with that thought. And I only have one church to be concerned with. But the cares of this church, they come upon me daily. It presses upon me because it's weighty. It's heavy. The intensity does fluctuate, but the pressures never go away. If you grew up in independent Baptist churches, then you may not be aware that the pastors in our stripe are some of the most overworked pastors that are out there. Maybe the most overworked. Many churches only have their pastor preaching once a week at the most twice a week. There are even some churches, one here in town, I know the guy that goes there, they have three different pastors and they rotate once a week every three weeks. Um, I think that's a bit excessive. Amen. (laughs) These churches, they often give their pastors a reoccurring sabbatical for the purpose of being able to take time from the pressures of ministry and be renewed by spending quality time with God. I came across this from a church website not of our stripe, obviously, but it says a ministry sabbatical is a period of time, usually three months, when ministry leaders and congregations set aside the leader's normal responsibilities for the purpose of rest and renewal towards sustained excellence in ministry. A ministry sabbatical is not an extended vacation, nor is it an academic sabbatical that normally involves extensive study. A ministry sabbatical is a release from the routine of the call for for the physical, emotional, spiritual, and intellectual well-being of the ministry leader. Amen. When's the last time you heard a Baptist talk like that? (laughs) 
Seriously, if you grew up in a Baptist church, you've probably never heard it. I haven't, and I grew up in Baptist churches my whole life. Now, please understand, I'm not advocating for that, okay? I'm not. I'm just... I'm not complaining about the workload. I'm not against working hard. My dad raised me to have a strong work ethic. Uh, you, you worked in our house or you didn't eat. And, and that's biblical. But, but, but anyway, uh, so don't put words in my mouth and, and suggest that I'm saying something I'm not. I still want you to come to me with issues. I still want you to know that I'm, I'm here. And I know some people hear stuff like this and they go, well, I can't go to the pastor with anything because uh, he feels like he's got too much on his plate. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. But I am asking you to be understanding when the need arises to take some time away. And I'm, I'm merely trying to educate you on the differences between independent Baptist uh, churches, how they treat their pastors. It, it's far different. And, and, and listen, again, this is going to sound very self-serving, but I think in our independent Baptist circles, we take our pastors for granted. We just assume they're going to be there. They're going to have a message ready. They're going to be prepared for all these sermons. And, and everything's just going to keep functioning as it goes. And it's no wonder we see so many drop out. It's, it's no wonder that we see them move so often. You know, the average stays about 3.6 years. In independent Baptist circles like ours, the pastor is typically preparing a minimum of three sermons a week, usually more, which would include things like Sunday school, chapel time, special events. Larry, are you here? I know i got to get back in chapel, brother. Um, and, and listen, we're, we're not the stripe of church that's going to do these shallow exhortations. I mean, you guys expect more out of that, and it takes more time to prepare that kind of thing. And then you add all the other responsibilities, which are many. I'm not going to list them now. All the issues that come up, all the haters who got to hate. And it adds up fast to where it's a lot to deal with. And it takes a lot of time to accomplish it all. And Paul calls it the care of all the churches. And on top of it all, I also have the responsibility to be a husband and a father. And believe me, I know you can relate because I know in the secular world you feel the same pressures. I've been there. I remember working in Minot, North Dakota, and my, my commander just got, my flight commander just got fired. They put me in his position. They said, you better get things together. We got an inspection in two weeks. And I said, well, that knucklehead didn't get anything done. They said, tough luck, get it done. And I remember I called home, and I, one of the kids, I might have been Carson or somebody, said, I heard in the background, is Daddy going to be home for supper tonight? And I immediately, I, I went up front to the people that were working, trying to get us caught up to where we needed to be, and I said, everybody go home. We are not working past 4.30 anymore. This is stupid. My family is far more important than any stupid inspection that the military is going to do. So the commander asked me, what do you think you're going to get? And I said, we're probably going to get an 82 or an 84, and we got an 82. But he knew that, and it was a unique situation, so um, it worked out. I'm just saying I understand you understand what I'm talking about. You have similar experiences. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that a pastor's job goes beyond just Sunday and Wednesday. I feel like I'm in the trenches right now. I'm telling you, this is tough. It may be hard for some to grasp, but believe it or not, those who are seemingly always walking with God because they are visibly serving in front of you are the best candidates to lose sight of God while they're serving God. It's easy for a pastor to get so busy serving God and others that he has no time left to seek after God. And it's because he's not choosing to make that time. I understand that. You, you will remember the account of Martha and Mary at the end of Luke chapter 10. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's 
hearing the Word of God, but the Bible says Martha was cumbered about much serving. And as a result, Jesus, He tells Martha, you're troubled about many things. And our Lord pointed out how Mary had chosen the one needful thing. And those who are busy serving the most often look like they have it all together. But we see how they are often the ones that are too busy for the Lord. The ones who will leave off the one needful thing, and that is spending quality time with the Lord. Thank you, brother. Brother Long, I'm so glad you're back. I should have had something better for you, brother. I want to I close with an example from nature. If you observe nature, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. There is so many lessons to be learned and applications from the formation of flying geese. And I'm just going to give you three for now. I think others will come up as we go through this series. When geese fly to migrate, they fly in a V formation. I think all of you have seen this. You're aware of this. This is what you pay me for, amen? (laughs) And because it's in the shape of a V, there's a lead goose at the tip of that V who is expending the most energy. And when the other geese follow behind the lead goose in a proper V formation, it makes the whole migratory process that much more efficient and easy. When a flock flies together in formation, they can fly 71% further with the same amount of energy if they were all flying individually. This is because the lead goose breaks through the resistance and the others will fly slightly higher where there's less drag and less resistance. And on and on it goes. And if you've ever heard a large flock of geese, you've heard a lot of noise. Right? When they're flying, they're honking like crazy. You know what they said? They being people who study this stuff. They said that geese will honk when they're flying in formation to rally the ones up front to keep going. And they'll just honk. Keep going. Keep going. But the fact remains that the lead goose can... He can't keep up with the demands indefinitely. And he grows tired. And when that happens, you've probably seen it when they start to break up a little bit. That lead goose will fall back to the rear and they'll, they'll reform. Somebody else will step up to the front. And that lead goose will drop back to the back where there's least resistance so he can recover from taking the full front of the resistance. And what I'm saying is we need to be in proper formation as a church. You need to understand my role and you need to understand your role. And we need to fly in a way that is most efficient so that we can go further as a church. It's good for leaders to hear the encouragement of others to keep going. It's good if I hear you honking. Somebody's going to put it on their phone and hit play. So what do you mean by honking? It's good to hear amen when you're preaching. I know I'm in South Dakota and I'm, I'm dealing with that. But it is good. And, and listen, it is nice afterwards. If God spoke to you, it's good to let the preacher know. Uh, somebody said something very kind to me this morning, and it was just such an encouragement. And 
I, I want to tell you, as your lead goose, <laughs> there will be times that I'm too tired to keep flying in the front where there's all the resistance. And in those times, I will need to fall back in formation where I can have less resistance for a minute and rest up in order to have the strength to get back in the lead. And once in the back of the formation, that's where hopefully there are going to be times of prayer and seeking God. And listen, you should want that for your pastor. If at times I need to fall back from the front of the formation because I'm exhausted, please don't be upset with me. It happens. It happens. And, and there's times it's going to be necessary. Please don't be guilty of saying dumb things like, must be nice to get away. Boy, we must be paying you well. So as I introduce this topic tonight, this series, I'm asking you to pray for me as your pastor. Because the cares of the church come upon me daily. So my role is to take that lead, is to take that resistance, is to keep pressing in the front. Your role in, in tonight's sermon would be to keep honking. Keep encouraging. Keep, keep flying in formation. I've said it before, there's no perfect leaders except Christ. And there'll be times of disappointment. And I can imagine there were some geese that were like, oh boy, this guy's already dropping out of the front. So, pray. Pray for our church. Pray that we'll fly in the right formation. That we will be as efficient as we can. And, uh, and so I hope none of this was taken in the wrong spirit tonight. Um, I just feel like it needs to be said. These kind of things need to be said. And um, like I said, who else is going to do it? Um, there are guys you can call in to do, to do these kind of things, but then I think, well, that's even more awkward. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs>